to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. We have what will be our last episode of the first season of this show today, talking about the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2. I have Scott from Boys Bible Study with me today. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Really like what you're doing. Thank you so much. I uh, was lucky enough to be a guest on your show uh, this year, and it was super fun. And so, um, you know, I'm really glad that you were able to come on and and we've got some interesting material to work with today. So um, uh, before we do that, why don't you tell people a little bit about um, what you do and also about how faith plays a part in your life? Sure. I'll start with the faith part because that leads to what I do today. I was raised in a non-denominational church in Cleveland, Ohio. It used to be called the chapel, and then we grew and grew and grew until uh, we had to move to a high school. And then out of the high school, we moved into um, what most people would consider a mega church now. And I had always thought of it as just completely Bible-based and its own, you know, focused on God and Jesus and the Bible. Um and truly non-denominational, but then when we moved to the west side of Cleveland, uh, when I was a teenager, the new church we went to was evangelical and had pretty much all the same tenets and practices. So I uh, basically raised evangelical my whole life. Throughout college, I had more and more questions about the church and the Bible, and not even necessarily as much about the Bible as I did about the other people around me who were studying the Bible. And I felt like a lot of them were disingenuine and the people who were most prominently following the tenets of Jesus Christ in my life uh, were not actually Christians or at least not in the traditional manner. Um, And so that kind of led to me eventually stepping away from the faith that I had grown up with. And now I am very solidly agnostic. Um, I, I, think it's really impossible to say that there could be no God. Um, but I also know that what I grew up with is has a lot of unhealthy things about it. And so I don't think that is the way either. Um, but I have been endlessly fascinated uh, with the Bible and with Christian media since then. And that leads to today, I do the podcast Boys Bible Study with my two best pals. And that is a Christian movie podcast where we where we talk about uh, the the best, hopefully, in Christian cinema, and we are equally parts critical and extremely enthusiastic about it. Uh, so check that out, Boys Bible Study. You engage with some wonderful material on that um, show, and and I've been turned on to so many good movies from it. So um, just you know, as a listener, thank you for for doing what you do. Oh, thanks. And thank you for suggesting that we watch The God Cafe, because (laughs) that is our newest um, episode that we just covered. That movie's really wild. 
it's um yeah i'll let you guys cover it but it was a it was almost a psychedelic kind of romp through faith it was very strange totally totally uh definitely a unique one and i started trying to watch a movie for this podcast episode two genesis the musical i could only get about uh five minutes in um but uh interesting concept <laughs> that good huh yep <laughs> well well actually this is good for us getting straight into the first chapter of the bible the thing is like when you're reading the first chapter of genesis there's so much left up to your imagination and this is to me the most expansive chapter of the entire bible like like how much of a time period would you say Genesis chapter two through um, right up until Revelations with that that covers? How many years do you think? I think it's supposed supposedly if you're a young Earth creationist, it's like four thousand years or something like that, right? Okay, so since I am not a young Earth creationist. I figure that this first chapter covers like 14 billion years. Yes. <laughs> and then the rest of the Bible's 4,000 years. So this first chapter is like 99.999% of time. Yeah, I think it's probably best that we get it out of the way uh, early that I'm I'm not a young earth creationist either. I do believe that God created the world, but I don't um I don't believe that the timeline uh, as we're going to dig into it is um, specifically the way that it's being laid out. Um, there's a lot of metaphor in the Bible overall. And I think these sort of time frames that they lay out in Genesis are those sort of metaphorical timelines, the way that Christians always use the phrase, the season of life. They're not specifically talking about a season, one season. They're talking about this period of time. So just in this first chapter, the way days are referenced is in three different ways. So one just being general time periods, which someone told me who knows how to read Greek, that that is what the initial version of Genesis that was written down is using is the word for day also can just be time period. Hmm. And that term is also used for days, but it could go either way. Um, and then the other way they use day in this chapter is just as like daytime as we would refer to like what I did during the day today. And then the third way is as actual 24 hour cycles. That's really interesting because they talk up, there's a lot of talk about light in this and like the period of day as a time of light um, exists uh, you know, God separates, there's a period of time there where God hasn't created uh, night and day yet. It's just let there be light. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different ways that we can, that we can read into, uh, what this is supposed to mean, but maybe it's best that we just start. Should I, should I just dive right in? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So this is Genesis one, the creation of the world in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So 
in the beginning, we're supposed to think of essentially nothingness, right? That there was nothing but God before God spoke everything into creation. How do you picture a God in a formless void? Yeah, it's a uh, question that will <laughs> not be answered anytime soon. <laughs> it's uh, it's another impossible question. It's um, you know, it's hard to picture God in general, um, despite the fact that there's been like all these terrible uh, depictions of him as just like this white dude with with a big white beard, and um, yeah. it's so much more complicated. It's infinitely more complicated than that. But um, we are to picture here that. There was a time when only God existed. It sounds kind of lonely. It does. And it's hard to, it's so hard to like wrap around, wrap your mind around the concept of pre-time. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's different in, and I like to go jump, you know, jump between uh, different translations of the Bible. In the NRSV, they say in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, and the ESV says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the NRSV, I think, does a better job of framing this time period where God is around without there being anything else. Now, ESV, I feel like in the way that they're wording it is a bit more like finger snap. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the NIV right now, and it's the same as ESV. And it does really suggest that when God creates the heavens and the earth is the actual beginning as we understand beginning. Whereas saying, what is it again? In the beginning, when God created when the heavens God and the earth? When God created, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's just like part of the beginning, which is pretty interesting. It is, and it's. Um, I think we should keep reading because a lot gets done here in the next, um, well, frankly, the whole first chapter is just jam-packed. It's like action after action after action, which is, I think, where a lot of like young earth creationists get this notion that uh, it all it all happened in a hurry, despite the fact that, you know, we have enough evidence to show that that's not what happened. Um, we have this one after the other, the next day, the next day, the next day. So if we go to Genesis 1, 6, um, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. In my version, it says God called the expanse sky. So this too is something that we should address because... I have also read um, in the NRSV, they say it's a dome, which is the dome picture to me is one that I think where a lot of, there's some flat earth um, uh, beliefs that we are under a dome, just literally the way the NRSV is, is writing it here. Um, but the expanse is more to say that there is a space between rather than there being a physical dome over us like living in a snow globe or something yeah no, that's like a really important interpretation and the the distinguishing between heaven capital h heaven and the heavens 
um, is one that needs to be teased out too, because where you see it called sky, sky is like this sort of loose descriptor of that stuff above us, everything in that stuff above us, where capital H, heaven, is this otherworldly realm where souls go when they're, you know, when they're forgiven and, and, and brought to, you know, the, it's the afterlife. So distinguishing, it's almost like these two translations are saying two incredibly different things, right? One is saying that we have a physical structure over, uh, over us all. And the other is saying that this division between the waters and the waters is heaven. Yeah, it's it's like it it almost feels like if we spoke a language different than English and read other versions, it might be more clear. I don't really know though, uh, because so far we have the word "day" being used in three different ways, and "heaven" is also two different things. The notes in the Oxford NRSV says the ancients believed the world originated and was founded from a watery abyss so that everything came out of this sort of like a wide lake, um, which is actually kind of brought up in the section we're going to do here where we, um, we see as creatures are formed, um, how they are formed and they form from essentially from the water. Right. Um, and this is where I think that ties into, I don't know if I want to use the phrase like intelligent design because that has like a very specifically kind of coded um, language about how it all went down. But there are definitely ways to reconcile what we know about scientific evidence of evolution and the, cre you know, the creation of the world and the existence of God. So back to this expanse. Um, what purpose would God have to, um, to separate heaven or the, the sky from the creation that he's, that he's making? Why is he separating himself from the things that he's creating? Oh, I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. I guess I've always thought of God as like, all around us and through us completely. So I, I didn't really think about this as a separation in that sense. Oh, that's really interesting. So in your mind, God is this sort of like energetic uh, wavelength that exists around us at all times and in us at all times. Yeah. Um, uh, randomly, uh, the, the rapper Prodigy from Mob Deep, uh, had an autobiography come out um, yeah, probably like 10 years ago at this point. But he he and that says his dad told him that he saw God and that God was like water. And that's like really stuck with me since I've read that. Wow. That's really cool. That's one. I mean, we were talking about how to picture God and picturing God as like a body of water or like a field of energy is probably the most accurate way to do it, isn't it? Because while we do hear, you know, see instances in the Bible of him saying things, speaking to people, or at least passing his word on through angels to people, um, 
it's hard to imagine him having like a mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I think with something that people get caught up in is that, that it says in the Bible that we are made in God's image. And I think that there's a lot more ways to interpret that than just he has a face just like me and a nose and two ears and two eyes, that sort of thing. I think I would argue that saying that we're made in God's image isn't to say that God looks like us, but that God thinks like us, um, at least at, at in the best of us, is a, a self-consciousness, uh, an awareness of yourself, um, and then this sort of predisposition to love and to giving and to a friendship, um, you know, community and connection. Like that is how we are made in God's image, not like, you know, God has like a handlebar mustache and a top hat. Right. <laughs> Though that would be funny. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Or, or you know, our, our bodies are are weak and not everlasting at all. Um, but God obviously is. So I guess I thought thought of it as like our souls are in more in God's image than our our earthly physical form that's gonna just gonna be dirt in like a hundred years. Well it's interesting that you use dirt as you know, as our end result, because they t they talk about that dust, that dust into dust, but that in this book, in this chapter, um, humans are basically just kind of uh, breathed into existence. But the next chapter describes a physical process of forming the human. So it's almost like the human was created in energy first. And then God had to refine that creation and make like a body out of it. It would be helpful if the um, chapter was longer. <laughs> we should. <laughs> I feel like we could have teased this one out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I need uh, more deets, more details. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really want the cliff notes on creation. I'd like the full, yeah, I'd like the full edition. It does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. In chapter one, God did some stuff with light. Okay. And we don't know if it's a dome, if it's a dome, if there's, and then he did the stuff with water and it's a whole, yeah. Um, <laughs> it does. Um, it's not that it feels incomplete because it is covering all of the bases, but yeah. it, it feels too brief given now what we know about how long this all took. Yeah. Just, just like all, all four gospels don't seem like enough to cover Jesus life. You know, there's, there's, how many more books that have been written just about the gospels or about um, Jesus life or other texts that have been found that, that go with that. Which isn't even to like mention that the, the gospels themselves, because they are accounts of uh, this incredible life of Jesus, like uh, are, are coming from people that like they're different and they also, they like tell different stories or they tell stories in different ways. And it's kind of up to us to say, uh, here's how we're going to reconcile these differences. And usually the the discrepancies are minor. It's like the name of the place that, that things, you know, that these things happened or um, the timeline in which it took place. But um, yeah, it's all very, it's all very brief. 
given how much importance now we've placed in the text that we have. I mean, this is the book, right? This is what the, the, the largest religion in the world is basing its entire faith off of. And there are still times in this book where we go, what? You know, <laughs> hang on. Yeah. How did that? Wait, rewind. Let's play that one in slow motion. And I wish I wish we could play this one in slow motion, but uh, it's really there's just so much left up to the imagination. And I think that that is cool and would be less frustrating if people didn't um, put political weight and the way that schools are taught into this first chapter of the Bible, because I really think like it doesn't it doesn't contradict modern science i i agree with you wholeheartedly maybe that's when we should we should i'll continue reading because um we're going to get to this uh seeing the order of the way that things were created uh in genesis 1 9 uh, and god said let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so god called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So here again, we see this uh, rotation of evening and the morning. Um, so first we have plants, right? There needed to be air and uh, water. And now we have the creation of green stuff. Um, if you read about the process of how people are framing evolution now with the best scientific information that people have. There needed to be the correct mixture of gases and heat and light or darkness. And it all, I mean, it all lines up. This is, this is the exact same process that we're seeing in Genesis. Yeah. And I think, I think this, this, day in particular is the first one that's particularly telling that this would be a time period and not just a day because it's suggesting that God witnesses the vegetation come to fruition and make new seeds and that that be able to continue the species again so I mean I would think that that is like a year at least at, at minimum at minimum so in this, there's all this discussion of order, and we see this a lot in the um, in the Torah portion of the Old Testament. There's a lot of discussion of the order of things and how things need to be neatly ordered. So here, of course, we're seeing the fruit tree bears the fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, which I think is like a weird distinction because like what other f seed would come from? a fruit of a tree. Like why would it be bearing seeds of a different kind of fruit? But maybe this is to say that like, this is the regenerative power of 
this nature that God has created. Like it's always going to recreate itself. Yeah. I, I wonder too, if for such an early, 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 the earliest chapter of the Bible, um, when somebody is like translating this for the first time or trying to explain it to someone, they aren't going to have like a good way of interpreting this or understanding this and at a human level. Um, for, for example, uh, the first time I was aware that how a translation could shift was um, I was in church when I was like 10 or 11, I want to say. And there were missionaries giving a talk about um, their work translating the Bible into Quechua in Peru. And they were saying that there was an animal in in the Bible. They, they, they were giving an example of having to like work out some nuances. And they were saying there was an animal in the Bible. I forget what it was, but they were like, in Peru, you wouldn't have this animal. So we changed it to this animal instead so that it would be a better understanding of generally what kind of animal it was. And at the time, I thought, that's kind of weird. That seems like, you know, just make a footnote or something about what kind of animal that is instead of actually changing it. That seems odd that it didn't seem like ultimately that detrimental or anything. But I was like, wow, you you are in a position where you have to make that call, I guess. And that's fairly minor. I didn't think it changed like the story or the, the, the writing specifically for how you would interpret it. But when you go back to, because, you know, we have a general understanding of like how animals operate, I guess. Um, and, but for the beginning of the earth, we don't, we don't have any understanding. So like any type of shift, you could think you're explaining it or translating it. I mean, you probably are tra translating it the best way you possibly can, but your understanding so limited. Yeah, there's like, we're not seeing, um, we're not seeing like concepts that we're already aware of come into existence. This is the creation of new things. It uh, So of course it becomes like necessary to explain the like very basic, here's how a, a fruit tree works because um, this is something that's unprecedented. There wasn't fruit before there weren't trees before so i think that that little detail it might be easy to get tripped up on is something that's like well this is how it worked and we had to include that because there weren't any before then and to that note about changing like an animal in a translation of the bible you see a lot of depictions of the tree of knowledge of good and evil with like apples on it and there's been a lot of like discussion about, well, it very it much more likely was like a pomegranate or like a fig or something like that. But in these like medieval Renaissance depictions of biblical things, this was happening in Europe. A lot of the, um, a lot of the paintings and, and um, art surrounding that was happening in Europe and uh, apples were more common. It was something more people would be able to go, oh yeah, I know what that fruit is. So it's almost distracting to not know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense that that would happen like that. Um, it seems too a, a point of showing that there was vegetation 
uh, created by God that could um, fruit and create its new seeds. That's this is the first thing that God does in the Bible where he makes something that can reproduce itself and recreate itself. I think that's kind of interesting. That's like, that's like a really important part of the plan. Yeah. You know, like God's not just like, I'm going to make, you know, if I think we need a new tree, I'll make a new tree. (laughs) And it would make sense if, I mean, if we're trying to frame this in the timeline of what we know from science of the evolution of creation of things, um, we know that like single cell organisms were the first like sort of living creatures, we'll say. But since this was written in a time when they literally did not know that bacteria existed, uh, it would make sense that the smallest life that they could see, which was plant, you know, plant matter, blades of grass and, and things like that, that that would be, here's our first instance of, of life on earth is plants. But I don't think that that's because they're getting it wrong. I just don't think that they knew that single cell, the organisms existed. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Or, or it might be worded in the same way. Like if Moses is getting this from God, cause that, that's the thought, right? That Moses wrote Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. The first five books of the old Testament are all credited to Moses, I believe. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so even if, even if you're he, like the term for a single cell organism is probably the same as the smallest type of vegetation you could understand. Why wouldn't it be? You wouldn't have come into contact with that previously. It felt to me like um, 14 verse 14 should have come before verse 11. Uh, at 14, it says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So we have like the delineation of day and night being um, sort of rehashed here um, because now we have stars. Yeah, it's it's pretty confusing. Um, there is a good note in my study Bible here though, which I don't remember if I mentioned this, but it's the Quest Study Bible. Hmm. NIV. Um, You mind if I read that? Oh, please do. Okay. It says, how was there light before God created the sun and the moon? Some say that the earlier light created by God was from some source other than the sun. That's in verse three. They speculate about a chemical, electrical, radioactive, or some other type of iridescence. Others say that the phrase, the heavens and the earth means the universe all the heavenly bodies, including sun, moon, and stars. According to this view, God created the sources of light, but did not reveal them until later, perhaps by removing some sort of cloud of darkness. Finally, he brought the process to completion and established the rhythm and order of the solar system that gives us days, nights, and seasons. In this view, the sun and moon were in existence already, 
when in verse 14, God assigned their place and purpose. That actually lines up with the voice translation, which takes all of the like um, discussion and turns it into dialogue, like in a screenplay. And at Genesis 1.14, God says, lights come out, shine in the vast expanses of heaven, uh, of heaven's sky, dividing day from night to mark the seasons, days, and years. Lights warm the earth with your light. Like he's calling on these lights that he's already created that we saw in three and giving them a purpose. Um, but why then wouldn't that happen before the plants existed? But again, they didn't know about chlorophyll. They, they right. weren't aware that plants survived because of light. Um, so is it, is it okay for us to, is it okay for us to say, maybe this is out of order? I don't know. I don't think, I think it doesn't, isn't necessarily out of order because even like deep, deep underneath the ocean where there is no light, there is life that is like living off, um, sulfur. It's interesting that, um, in the, um, the creation of plants and cells as they were, um, cultivating on earth, there was basically everything else and then sponges in the ocean. That sponges are a unique kind of like monolith of life that don't really require the same things that other plants and obviously then animals require. And so to that same point, you're right, that, that this, this life could very well have existed. Um, and given what you said about God giving the lights a purpose, um, maybe too, he was creating the plants, um, but he hadn't placed them yet. Uh, he hadn't, um, he hadn't dug the, he hadn't planted them in the soil yet. I don't know. Yeah. Or if we're looking at it in terms of evolution being taking so much time to happen and these being general time periods, I, again, don't think that this goes against that. I think that would work hand in hand because there would be types of life that we could consider vegetation that would have existed for a long time before they even needed to be out of the water. That's interesting. I think too, like about the, the amount of time that this all must have taken and the way that Moses is splitting the days like very clearly, like this happened and then it was nighttime and then the sun rose again and it was morning and then all this other stuff happened the next day. But um, it seems to me really plausible too that there was overlap here, that there was some of these things were happening while other things were happening. God being so powerful uh, can be doing more than one thing at once. It doesn't mean he just needs to do one thing every day. In my The Quest Study Bible, there's a giant footnote that says, how technical is this description of creation? And it says... While the days, quote unquote, of creation could be either a figure of speech or literal 24-hour periods, this passage is nevertheless an orderly narration of what took place. It tells us there is intelligence, meaning, and purpose behind all existence. In other words, the word of God is seen in the method of creation as well as the source of creation. Yet human beings have been given the privilege to explore through scientific investigation how God may have engineered these events and how long he took. Most understand the six days of creation to represent long periods of time 
So I'm wondering, footnote to the footnote, when exactly this took this was written because I feel like now saying that most people understand it to represent long periods of time isn't necessarily the case, but maybe that's just the most outspoken people who weigh towards not thinking it's long periods of time. There has been a definite movement in, especially I feel like in the American um, church, the non-denominational American church, to be much more fundamentalist about the text itself. There's a difference between saying that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it's true and um, saying this is an exact uh, literal explanation of exact things that happened. Um, And I think this movement isn't necessarily one that's been around for that long. Mm. I think that there's... There, there have been plenty of different narratives put forth over the course of time that, um, you know, as far as biblical uh, fallibility or, or um, whether or not things are to be taken literally or figuratively or allegorically or metaphorically or however you want to put it. But this movement towards um, this is exactly the way that it was. And the earth was created, um, you know, 4,325 BC on a Wednesday at 3 a.m. Um, <laughs> that I don't feel like is um, the prevailing attitude uh, amongst Christians. And I feel like Christians are painted with a very broad brush um, by people who aren't believers as like, oh, they're all like fundies. They're all Right. They're all part of this like cult of like creation and destruction. Like it's so wrong because even within the Christian faith, like the difference between Lutheranism and and Catholicism is very different. So then swing. And that's just the core of it. So swing way left and swing way right. Or even like I feel like um, any atheists I know are not like angry, loud about it. But like the ones that I see prominent on the internet are, if you're going the other way. Yeah, I I wish that um, I, I wish that I didn't uh, I wish that I didn't read the things that I see on the internet. I wish I didn't pay attention to them. <laughs> I wish I didn't even know that Twitter existed. I wish in, <laughs> in my heart of hearts that I'd never discovered uh, any of this stuff because had had we all been able to, in good faith engage with the Bible without having like the poisoned minds of people who are um, like just, they have been um, rotted by fundamentalist ideology or by talking heads on television or by um, people on the internet who are absolutely so certain and so sure of themselves and they don't really know shit. Uh, Had we all been able to just engage with this with maybe someone who didn't have a political ideology to back up or, or really just wanted um, to help people meet Jesus, uh, I think a lot more people would be affected by what they see here and not be repulsed by it or repelled by it because they feel like Christianity is this toxic, hateful group of people. It's so wrong. Yeah, it's, it's really, really unfortunate um, and really frustrating. The whole message is love. 
I mean, literally, for God's sake, the whole message is love. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. Yeah, and now it's been flipped to like a a political statement. Like, like I feel like even saying like we should take care of the environment is this like weird political stance now, and that should be really obvious. Like we all we all live on the earth, and that's that. That's one that Christians should be listening to more often too, because uh, this is God's creation, right? Yeah. Uh, like He made this for us. Stop covering it in oil. Stop slathering oil all over everything. <laughs> I laugh. I laugh because it's sad to me, but it's like I, I don't know how to directly like. Yeah, it's it's we are screwing so many things on this planet up, uh, and people who are believers in God have a responsibility to tend to this creation. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Every, everybody should be tending to this creation. (laughs) Uh, And I don't mean like mow your lawn, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's more complicated than that Uh, because we see in, in uh, 14 through 18, God is calling the lights to rule over the over the earth rule over the day and the night um in the uh, notations in the nrsv it says the sun moon and stars are not divine powers that control human destiny as was believed in antiquity but are only lights implicitly worship of the heavenly host is forbidden so don't worship the sun uh sorry pagans i know that's going to disappoint you (laughs) It is very bright, though. It is extremely you see, bright. You could see how people get into that. Yeah, and it's hot. It's really, really hot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, wow! I realized that this us our like last ten minutes of talking was a segue from the footnote that I was reading. It's really <laughs> funny. Well, because I mean, we talked about how this is such a dense, um, this is such a dense portion. We have to expound a little bit on it. We have to look to other places for a little bit of guidance on how to read it because um it's really hard to understand yeah so much left up for interpretation and that's okay i think that's okay as long as people can like just acknowledge that fact like there's a lot left up for interpretation here maybe let's not pretend that we know definitively what it what it is it's okay to let the text breathe a little bit yeah um just like uh when we get direct moral guidance rules on how to live our lives uh, it's important to understand the way that people lived when the bible was written was very different and it may not be possible to follow each and every command with exact precision that's the point you know we we have to let it breathe a little bit yeah, like thou shall not steal when there's a pandemic going on and you don't get any government assistance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> long pause. Yeah, long pause. <laughs> but that's also left up for interpretation. Absolutely. Let that text breathe a little bit. Too. <laughs> um, so so to get to uh, Genesis one twenty. 
This is the fifth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So this is actually too lining up with what we see as the timeline for how scientists, scientifically we have uh, things coming to be that the earlier creatures that had bilateral symmetry and had legs and arms and were moving or had um, uh, wings uh, or had gills. It started with sea creatures and stuff that flew, uh, you know, other than insects and things like that. Earliest, uh, some of the earliest specimens are fish or things that kind of look like fish or uh, birds or things that kind of look like birds. Um, The 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 bear the common bear <laughs> is not something that we're going to hear about in this particular section because that came later fuzzy animals came later yeah so yeah this all seems to be within a timeline still that go does not go against uh current uh mainstream scientific thought the uh the next day always cracks me up because of the way that living creatures that walk the earth are described. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so (laughs) creeping things. (laughs) Uh, Do they mean bugs? Probably some, (laughs) that translation is from someone who's scared of bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Because mine does not say creeping things. <laughs> and God said, and God said, let there be creepy crawlies all over the earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, um, yeah, the NRS, which, what uh, translation do you usually use? NIV. NIV, okay. Yeah, just because that's what I'm familiar with, the most familiar with. What is the NIV? How does the NIV read this portion? It is, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. Uh, creatures that move along the ground. Yeah, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, move so. along the ground. No big deal. <laughs> the, the voice, too, says, uh, Earth generate life, produce a vast variety of living creatures, domesticated animals, small creeping creatures, and wild animals that roam the Earth. It's funny that they're distinguishing uh, domesticated animals from wild animals in this portion too that they say livestock like anyone was farming at this time yeah yeah that's interesting huh but it does i guess kind of tie into that intelligent design idea that animals were created for specific purposes to serve humans because humans are special in the eyes of god because we were created um we were created in his image that, you know, he put animals, certain animals on this earth specifically to serve purposes for us. And I think, too, the same as you would separate the the creepy crawlies on the ground from other animals. It's just a easy way to uh, define what animals you're talking about, like saying that Moses is passing this on to a human for the first time. 
It would, yeah. it would make sense to be like all of these sorts of animals after, you know, right before this, you've talked about uh, birds and everything in the sea. So it makes sense to me that you would you would follow that up and separate that by referring to livestock, even though there wouldn't be people yet. Because for there to be a story to tell, there are people. I like that, too. It reiterates that even the things that crawl along the ground that we see as creeping things, the things that crawl along the ground that we see as like, uh, you know, a, a different class of animal is still a God is still God's creation. It's still something that God gave to the earth. Um, I have to admit, I am very scared of spiders. I have like a weird phobia about spiders and I have to sometimes remind myself not to kill every single one that I see. Now I have a lot of them in my apartment or maybe it just seems like a lot because I'm terrified of them, but, <laughs> uh, I have to remind myself that like this you don't need to kill this spider. It's not going to hurt you. But then also there's this thought in the back of my head, like God created the spider too. Okay. God made that spider. (laughs) It's a creeping thing. It's okay. It's just a creeping thing. Other bugs creep me out, but not spiders because, um, I was told, uh, that spiders don't even recognize that humans are there. And I also know that they catch other creeping things that creep me out. So, yeah. Uh, and they're, they tend to take care of more nuisance pests like ants and things like that, which is just an amazing, you know, what an amazing thing that God created it. A creepy thing that takes care of other creepy things. Um, as far as ants go, do you think they're the most successful species on the earth? Oh, hundred percent. That and yeah. I think viruses and like bacteria and viruses too. They're like, um, but I guess they're not really animals. So yes, ants win. Ants won the, they won the battle. They're around all the time. There are, there are uncountable numbers of them and uh, they're, they're everywhere and God created them too. Yeah. I, uh, can I tell you a quick ant story? Oh, please do. <laughs> sort of has to do with creation. Um, so I was on a trip with some friends, um, when I was like 22, we just like rented an RV and we're going on a road trip and we camped out in death Valley. And I woke up like right when the sun came up and, um, I saw some dunes kind of what I thought was probably like, I don't know, 200 feet away. And I was like, I'm going to walk over to those dunes. And after I had walked probably like a mile and a half, they still looked just as far away. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to keep walking. So I just like sat down for a little bit and it's still really early. So it wasn't wasn't ridiculously hot yet. And I just like looked at the ground. I was just like looking at the ground and then. I saw something moving and then another thing. And it was just like a couple of ants crawling around just in the middle of the desert. It was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, what? How what are you this... feeding on? Yeah. Anyway, I was really impressed. And that that's when it like hit me that ants are really the, uh, the most successful species on earth. They're certainly the most resilient. Yeah. Uh, Cause I bet even when God flooded the earth, um, I think we should, since we're getting on in our time here, we should get through uh, Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So uh, our was the thing that stuck out to me first. Did you? Does your translation use that word? Our image? Our likeness? Uh, yeah, it says, it says, let us make man in our image. Yeah. And there is a, there is a note in my Bible about that too. It says, why did God say, let us make man in our image? And often Kings refer to themselves in this way. The word for God in Hebrew is plural. So the statement likely indicates that God was taking counsel with himself. This may also hint at the mystery of the Trinity in the unity of God. There is plurality. Some think this describes God speaking to his heavenly court of angels. Is this what they refer to as the royal we? I think so. That's interesting. That's, and you're right, in the NRSV note, it says the same thing. The plural us, our, probably refers to divine beings who compose God's heavenly court or refers to this uh, this calling yourself and us or an, an hour, which it just struck me because um, at no other point uh, is there really this indication that God has company. Yeah. Um, and that's why I said earlier on in the episode that it felt kind of lonely, like for, for God to be, to be all alone. And that's why he's kind of creating this, this, uh, wonderful, this wonderful world. But, uh, this might kind of might contradict that this might actually be saying that God was in a heavenly court, that God reigning as King had subjects or had people around him in his court and was saying, Hey, we're going to make the angels, just like us. I think I like the royal we explanation better than I like him sitting in like a, a heavenly court. Because again, I, I really, yeah, I get uncomfortable when I hear people like anthropomorphize God and try to make God into this like uh, kingly dude. Or maybe just my association with royalty is all like stuffy English guys. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that and it's trying to People keep trying to, and just generally speaking, try to like retrofit God where it's like, you know, the idea of like uh, just general kingdom and a king's court came way after the beginning. So it's weird to like force that back to the beginning when it has no place there. There is references too of like people rule or of, you know, the light ruling over the earth, but it doesn't really seem like this is a kingdom in the sense that we know of kingdoms. Uh, it's more of like a kingdom, like a like a place, like a domain. Um, but again, this this kind of brings up the same kind of contradictions that we were seeing between translations, where one is an expanse and one is a dome. We have uh, an idea, a theory, um, a more loose concept versus a physical structure or a physical thing. And there is the, are you a fan of the movie, The Never Ending Story? I haven't seen it in so long. Oh man, let's, I should mention that it's my favorite movie of all time. So I might be a little biased, but there's a point where um, Atreyu finds Morla, the ancient one, and Morla references themselves as we and us. And then mentions like, I haven't talked to anyone in thousands of years. So that's why we're us now pretty much. So I could see that being the case too for God after it's been potentially billions of years. Wow. 
<laughs> cool. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. It's a great one. So finishing up here, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So this is interesting, too. There's like an argument for like uh, vegetarianism in here, because he's, he's not... He's saying that the, the the plants will be food, right? He's not saying that we should be eating the animals. Yeah, true. I'm not a vegetarian, so that's not the argument that I'm making. But uh, <laughs> this, this argument goes back to biblical times. Uh, there are uh, discussions of diet restrictions all throughout the Bible, actually, even into the New Testament. So to see uh, a divine instruction on what is food, I thought was really, really interesting here. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. That is, since I am a vegetarian, I like this a lot. I'm going to point <laughs> this out to my parents. <laughs> the um, I have given every green plant for food. Although then that also says, okay, he's specifying that the green plants are food. Like, are we, are we not allowed then to eat not green plants? What about yellow plants and red plants? Uh... Or maybe I'm just being glib. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Um, so this creates a hierarchy on Earth um, that establishes human beings as essentially the highest order of things in the world. Um, but it doesn't say that beasts or that that humans are to consume the beasts. Uh, what it does say is that humans will rule over the the earth and the birds and and the fish and the creeping things, um, and then those beasts then then too have the plants, and so the plants are below the beasts who are below the humans, um, creating this like hierarchical order. I, I found really interesting too. Like we're already saying human beings are superior. We're different. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I've just seen so many terrible people in my lifetime, but I, I don't, are we, are we different? Do you, do you, do you feel that we're better in, um, in God's eyes? Or do you think that this is being influenced by the fact that it was written by humans? I, I don't think in this first chapter that it really is saying that we are better. I think it's just saying that we're in charge, like like you're saying with the hierarchy. Um, hierarchy is a weird word, at least for me, I imagine for a lot of people, because in some ways it suggests something that is a cause for all of the hardship in the world. But then on the other hand, when you work within like a team getting things done, like even I'll use boys Bible study example, there's three of us. And when we all work together, it makes it all flow the best way it possibly can. It's the most efficient way to get an episode out. 
um, because we're all playing different parts. And this is this suggestion of humans being in charge and maintaining everything is like pre-corruption. Mm, so that's a very good point. It's it's like it's just like a responsive, like a really awesome responsibility to be given by God because we're made in God's image, right? And so, that I think is the argument where I was saying a, a better or a, or a higher status is that man specifically is being created in God's image, um, and then everything else were just like beasts and and domesticated creatures. But I don't know. I mean. Um, the that's a very good point about um, this being before the fall. So in God's eyes, this is a perfect arrangement. Humans will take care of it. The animals will be sorted and, and people will um, look after his creation. And he finds out pretty shortly thereafter that that's not going to be quite as, as easy as he thought. Um, so on the seventh day, God rests. This is a new chapter, but this is sort of the, the, um, the completion of this seven-day period. On the seventh day, God rests. Thus the heavens uh, and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And um, it's very interesting to me to imagine a celestial like cloud of of knowledge and power kicking its legs up and being like oh cracking up cracking up in a cold one and being like yeah that was a bear of a week (laughs) yeah i wonder if that was like the most the most peaceful time just that has existed (laughs) no one has ever chilled as hard as god chilled on the seventh day (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, I wanted to reflect in this, um, in this, uh, Genesis one through two, four, uh, is mirrored in other places in the Bible. And one of those is in the gospel, according to John, uh, in the new Testament, uh, John writes in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, he being Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The wording on this is a little confusing. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So because the New Testament focuses on the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus is always referred to as the light of the world, they're focusing, John focuses here on the light and the light not being overtaken by darkness. Um, this ties into a, today we are recording on December 27th, 2020. And it is actually the feast day of St. John Apostle and Evangelist. So I wanted to just read the collect, which is sort of like the introductory prayer observation of this holy day. It says, Merciful Lord, we beseech thee to cast thy bright beams of light upon thy church, that it, being illumined by the doctrine of thy blessed apostle and evangelist St. John, may so walk in the light of thy truth, that it may at length attain to life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So it all started with light, and that fits into a Christian vision 
of creation because as we learn in Revelation, uh, Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the light of the world, but he was there at the beginning with God because he is God. And then at the end, when everything gets kind of wrapped up, or, or so we're to interpret, I think, in Revelation, that um, that light persists. And you know what? That is perfect um, as an ending to this, because that reminds me of the great movie, Let There Be Light, starring and directed by Kevin Sorbo. Um, congrats <laughs> on love, the uh, Kevin Sorbo shout out. <laughs> I love Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> I love Sorbo. I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if I agree with his politics, but his films are... Um, his films are really good. He's a great actor. And he always he always casts himself as the atheist, which I think is really funny. It's like you're the, yes. probably the, the strongest believer in any of these film crews that you're putting together. And somehow you're <laughs> the one that always winds up being the smug atheist in all of your movies. Yeah. So um, keeping with uh, the tradition of the beginning and the end, I am uh, going to read a poem by Alexander Pope. Uh, about death. But before I do that, do you want to let everybody know where they can find you, um, how they can uh, look up your show, things like that? Sure. Um, you can find my show, Boys Bible Study, at boysbiblestudy.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Boys Bible Study. And that's pretty much it. You could also follow me at Rem Lazar on Letterboxd if you're, if you're a movie fan um i really enjoy that sort of non-social media of letterbox that enables me to not engage with people um, <laughs> like we were saying before it's a blessed thing to not be on social media so i think that you're you're doing the right thing and still have a platform for yourself you know yeah it's it's like community-based non-social media <laughs> <laughs> So um, thanks again for, for being on the show with me. It's, uh, this was a nice conversation and, and tackled as, as well as I think we possibly could the insanely complicated topic of, uh, of creation. Thanks so much for having me. So this is uh, by Alexander Pope, The Dying Christian to His Soul. Ode, vital spark of heavenly flame. Quit, oh quit this mortal frame. Trembling, hoping, lingering, flying. Oh, the pain, the bliss of dying. Cease, fond nature, cease thy strife, and let me languish into life. Hark, they whisper, angels say. Sister spirit, come away. What is this absorbs me quite? Steals my senses, shuts my sight, drowns my spirits, draws my breath. Tell me, my soul, can this be death? The world recedes, it disappears. Heaven opens on my eyes. My ears with sound seraphic ring. Lend, lend your wings, I mount, I fly. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? I got to the part with the cattle and the creeping things. Said I'm pretty sure we heard this one before. Sugar, a hard Gideon son.
over. You said you're contagious. Sally Rabbit, tripping is for teenagers. Murder is for murderers, and hard drugs are for bartenders. I think I might have mentioned that before. 